This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. We competed against each other on Jeopardy back in 2018. Kyle ended up winning seven games. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each week we start with analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move into a deep dive on a question or category from one of those episodes. And then we have a quiz at the end. So this week, starting with Monday, January 13th, we have Veronica Vichit Vatican, a librarian from Portland, Oregon, Daniel Sock, a medical student from Atlanta, Georgia, and Katie Needle, a retail supervisor from Brooklyn, New York, whose two-day cash winnings total $53,602. And before we get into the categories, Emily and I have a connection to Daniel because... Oh! Uh, it was mentioned on the show that his wife was a Jeopardy! contestant a little you while back. these things to me before we record, Kyle? Oh, ah, I th- I'm just putting you... it together now. I missed it. No, I missed oh, it. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and so, yeah, his wife, uh, Caitlin Sock, was uh, actually on the very first episode of season 35. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was playing against Rick Terpstra, who was the returning champion, and Isaac Loeb. Uh, and that is the taping day that my run began. And Emily, as we, I think we've talked about, Emily was there for that first uh, taping day of the week, uh, and she did not get pulled for that day, so she came back the, the second day. Highly recommend, by the way, not that it's in anyone's control, but uh, sitting through a whole taping day and then taping on the second day, you get like the maximum Jeopardy experience. I mean, yeah. if you're going to lose in your first game. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we, uh, yeah, we like, we were in the green room with Daniel's wife before the before the tapings began yeah of course she was pulled for the first show of that day uh and she did not win so that meant that we didn't really get to spend much time because uh mm-hmm. when you lose you're gone you sign your papers you get your stuff and you can go sit in the audience if you want uh but mm-hmm. they are no longer responsible for you and you are not allowed to interact with the current contestants so yep uh, yeah, they have. Uh, they keep a pretty strict separation between anyone who's about to play and everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was really cool. And so uh, I will. I will admit that I was rooting for Daniel uh, in this particular show just because I was like, oh my gosh, oh that's so crazy. Yeah, I I didn't realize that he was uh, that he was Caitlin's husband until until now. Uh, I hey, mean, Caitlin. I, hey Daniel. Hey. Congrats. Hope, yeah, if you're listening, that's awesome. And also, I hope I'm not assuming that. Uh, falsely assuming that you were the <laughs> that Caitlin was the, <laughs> these, the wife that, that these was mentioned. Two medical people with the same last name from the same city are 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 the married Jeopardy contestants. That, yeah, yeah, that they no. talked about. <laughs> yeah, presumably, I mean, it, it would be that would be a pretty wild coincidence. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so we get the single Jeopardy categories: recognizing the country, beauty brands, glossary of history horror films, the television will be revolutionized, and that's some ending with some in quotation marks, and Alex clarifies that some will come at the end of each correct response. Over the weekend, we got a little bit more clarity, or maybe it was on 
Monday. Um, we got a little more clarity um, about Friday's game. There had been that clue about the Church of the Nativity and then um, Katie answering Palestine and Jack answering Israel and then the scores changing during the commercial break without an explanation. And we did get an explanation from Jeopardy, um, I think before this game aired that there actually had been an editing error. They were supposed to have a completely different clue in there. They had, um, after they revealed that uh, Church of the Nativity clue and got those two responses, they realized that it was kind of a messy clue. And they keep a spare clue for each category in reserve just for that purpose. So uh, they, they posted on their, on their website and on their social media the correct clue. Yeah. And so, like, you might be thinking, well, how they taped it, you know, months ago. How how come how come they weren't able to catch it? So one thing that I think I found out at the tournament of champions, it might be mentioned to to at all, you know, to any contestants who ask. Essentially, by the end of the tape day, they have finished editing the episode and are and and uh, they send it out to all of the uh, uh, stations that syndicate the show pretty immediately so you know when we were taping the tournament of champions that day wrapped up and they finished editing it and then it went and basically just sat at all of the stations waiting for the air date so it's not like they were sitting around spending a long time working on these edits and there's a lot of opportunities to catch it it means that uh, essentially that day the person the people who were in charge of editing the show they they kind of do it in real time as best they can uh, and then do anything else in post that they need to, and then they can it and ship it as quick mm-hmm. as they can. So really, it was just sitting there waiting to be shown. And so the reason Jeopardy didn't put out like a warning there will be a thing or uh, a faster response or, or something ahead of time was because they didn't know. Yeah. Like they, they taped it, they thought they fixed it, they sent it out, and then once it airs, they're like, oh, that's not what we meant to send out. So Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a little uh, noise on Twitter um, with people getting mad that uh, about sort of Jeopardy sort of being swayed by the outroar or outcry over you know what over this uh, this clue, um, which is not the case at all. They taped they taped months ago and changed the clue not in response to public opinion because there was no public opinion on the tape day. Um, Right. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, they're very committed to um, making the game fair. Uh, the clues have to be good. And as soon as they got that Palestine-Israel response, they realized they'd left an ambiguity of the clue that, uh, as some former contestants, um, multi-time champion Jennifer Morrow in particular pointed out, a clue like that makes the contestants look like they are taking a stand on the Middle East crisis. Right. Um, they're just trying to get points on a game show, you know, and yeah. that's not really, it's not super fair to them. Um, no, so, no, you know, they tried to, they tried to fix it in the moment. Um, unfortunately, there was that editing glitch, but nothing except the explanation, I think, was in response to public opinion. Yeah. And the explanation was a good call. Yeah, 100%. All right, so in the Jeopardy round, <laughs> uh, the that first category, the recognizing the country category, was uh, it was bizarre. It was not one that uh, I had seen before. Yeah. It was basically comparing one country's size and shape 
to to some region of the United States by just like mm-hmm. showing a map of the United States and then superimposing the country they're asking for on top yeah. of it. So you have to basically know countries by shape. Yeah. While also blocking out the map in the background. Yeah, I thought it it was a good category because we haven't seen it before, I think. You know, mm-hmm. um I did not do a whole lot of work with maps preparing for Jeopardy because you can get like sort of the lowest hanging fruit is just to memorize a lot of countries and capitals. Yeah. Um what I had time for during the time that I was explicitly preparing for a tape date was the low hanging fruit. But I think a I think a category like this rewards a deeper knowledge of geography, and I liked that. I did not have the deeper knowledge of geography. I I got a couple of them, but by no means all. But I mm. I liked seeing it. I remember you talked about your Croatian mnemonic last week. Yeah. How did, did did you get did you get a good number yeah. of these? I got yeah. I got all of them. Yeah. Um. When I yeah over over the summer and into the school year preparing for the uh, preparing for the tournament. Um, I'd read somewhere that someone, a suggestion that someone had that worked out really well for me was to just make the desktop background of my computer a different map every week. Oh, that's smart. So every time I, every time I went on my computer, I saw a map of Africa or I saw a map of Europe mm-hmm. or a map of Oceania or, you know, or Southeast Asia or wherever. And so I would just, before I did anything else, I would take, you know, five minutes and just like look it over go through the lists you know remind myself of the countries and capitals and mm-hmm. it gets the shapes in your brain so yeah uh we get the daily double uh very the very last clue of the round at the two thousand dollar level in the beauty brands category katie finds it and wagers two thousand and gets the clue the website for this company begun in 1886 has links for shop with a friend and become a representative. And to me, this was a coin flip. One of these I think of as older than the other. Um, Mm -hmm. And it turns out I was right, but I was really kind of on the fence. Katie guessed what is Mary Kay, which is the other one I was thinking of. Um, And maybe she she was thinking of both too. Um, The correct response is what is Avon? Yeah. Yeah, Mary Kay and Avon back before... The whole multi-level marketing explosion. Yeah, those were those were the two. Anyway, uh, so that brings us to double jeopardy because that was the last clue in the jeopardy round. So with that incorrect response, Katie drops down to four thousand. Uh, so she's in second place. She has four thousand. Daniel is in third place with twenty-eight hundred, and Veronica is in the lead now at fifty-eight hundred. And we get the categories: Starkitects. Colonial America, Tricky Clues, Their Pen Went Silent, Water Music, and I Learned It on YouTube, which (laughs) that category could have taken a very dark turn. (laughs) I guess it could have. The Tricky Clues category is pretty fun because uh, it uses... It uses, like, uh, double meanings of the words in the clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for instance, the $800 clue. If you put off retiring, you might be one of these nocturnal avians. And so retiring doesn't mean, like, you know, stop working. It means, like, I'm retiring for the day. I'm going to bed. The correct response is, what is a night owl? From 1952 to 1958, this Friday cop show aired on Thursday. And that's what is Dragnet uh, with Joe Friday. Which I knew because of the parody 
on a PBS show called Square One TV. I think um, I think you've talked about Square One TV before. Oh, I think only with you not on the podcast, but yes. Oh, okay, okay, uh, maybe. Yeah, it is my only reference point for <laughs> Dragnet. But they had they had a uh, math education based Dragnet parody, and it's enough for me to get most sort of basic Jeopardy level Dragnet questions. Interesting. We get Daily Double number two in the their pen went silent category at the. $1,200 level. Veronica finds it and wagers 4000 gets the clue just prior to his death in 2006. This best-selling novelist wrote a book for younger readers called Shark Life. And uh, she thought about it for a while, seemed to not really have a good guess, and said, who is Michener? Sort of so as to not say nothing. Nothing, yeah. Uh, which is always, always a good call. Um, the correct response is Peter Benchley, uh, the author of Jaws. Um, yep. I would not have gotten that one. I couldn't pull it. I knew it was Peter yeah. B. Peter B. something Lee. And I kept going like Blakely or something like that. I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to, it must be the author of Jaws because why else would they mention Shark Life? But I didn't have a name for him in my head. I think that space is taken up by quotes from the Jaws movie. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so Veronica loses 4,000 on that one, but she is still pretty firmly in the lead. Veronica really took off in Double Jeopardy and kind of left the other two, kind of left the other two in her dust. Yeah, that's sort of the story of the week. Yeah, we get Daily Double number three, clue number 25 in Colonial America. At the $800 level, Veronica also finds this one. The clue is Cotton Mather supported the Salem witch trials, but was more forward-thinking when he urged inoculation against this disease. And she correctly identifies what is smallpox, which makes sense given that there was no other inoculation at the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, uh, and she wagered 4,000 on that, so she made up the deficit from her previous Mm -hmm. Daily Double, and that put her uh, uh, up to like 21,000. So yeah, they each pick up one more clue after the Daily Double, but Veronica finishes with a lot gain, 21,000 to Katie's 10,000 and Daniel's 4,400. And they get the final Jeopardy category, the Bible. And the clue, this book of the Bible ends with, Fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. You must have struggled with this one. I did that thing where I know too much and overthink it. I didn't get to the <laughs> correct answer. But I, for, the first thing that occurred to me was Exodus, which mm. was the correct answer. This is talking about, I think the, I think it's talking about like the Ark or the Tabernacle. I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but must, mm-hmm. I think the, the Ark maybe. So I thought immediately about Exodus, um, but then I thought, well, the Exodus narrative continues. Leviticus is mostly just the law, but then the Exodus narrative kind of continues in numbers, so it could could it be numbers, and then Deuteronomy um, sort of you know concludes that you know that that set of five books, you know the Torah or the Pentateuch or you know whatever whatever you uh, there are numerous names for it. So then I thought, oh maybe you know could it be Deuteronomy? No, I don't think it's Deuteronomy. And then I went back to Exodus and sort of reminded myself that in Jeopardy, don't overcomplicate it. Mm-hmm. There are seldom trick answers. Right. Yeah. So 
anyway, it was more, it was tougher for me than you would think because I did, because I did the overthinking it thing. But the correct response is, what is Exodus? Daniel missed it. He guessed what is James. Um, wagered zero. So that's fine. And Katie had it correct. And Veronica did as well. So Veronica finishes with 21,999 and returns on Tuesday, where we have Marlon Badgett, a business analyst from Austin, Texas, Alyssa McKinney, a stay-at-home mom from Irving, Texas, and Veronica Vidget Vatican, a librarian from Portland, Oregon, returning with one-day cash winnings of $21,999. Yeah, and we get the uh, categories, anagrammed U.S. cities, drawing quite the crowd, mythology, TV shows based on books, let's get married, and now the exchange of vowels. Uh, so that's another two-word correct response that are different by one vowel. I have a theory, and maybe this is just off-base and... I am just catching up on my Greek mythology, but I read the novel Circe last week. I finished the novel Circe by, I think her name is Madeline or Madeline Miller. Hmm. It's new-ish, like came out last year or the year before, and it's sort of a reimagining of the story of Circe. She's a figure in the Odyssey. Is she the um, the sorceress? Is that? Yeah, Circe is like the witch sorceress banished to a deserted island where she turns sailors into into pigs mm-hmm. and it parts of it were greek mythology parts of it were you know sort of reimagining um or like adding backstory or you know fleshing things out imaginatively but anyway i think i had like six correct answers over the course of this week based on that one novel wow. um, which seems like a lot some of them i knew before this but it just felt like somebody in the writing room was like on the same set of facts that I was on uh, that I'd just come across in this book. So I don't know. Yeah. So from that one in the mythology category, I remembered uh, the $400 clue dryads were the tree dwelling version of these creatures. That's nymphs opposite the cave of the sea monster Scylla. You'd find this monstrous personification of a whirlpool. That's Charybdis. Mm-hmm. It kept it kept coming up. It kept it came up all week long. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I went through a mythology phase as a kid, but I haven't retained as much as I wish I had. <laughs> I feel that way about a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> I knew this once. Yeah, or at least I learned it once. Yeah, uh, we did get the daily double in that mythology category at the eight hundred dollar level. Marlon found it and wagered $1,200 and got the clue Echo's love for this lad was unrequited. He only had eyes for himself. He got it correct. That's Narcissus. Poor Echo. Yeah. I didn't remember that Echo was in love with him, but I think Narcissus is well known because of like the words narcissism and narcissistic. Mm-hmm. So the he only had eyes for himself kind of gives it to you, even if you don't know about narcissists in it and echo yeah yeah for sure so at the end of the jeopardy round veronica has six thousand six hundred uh Alyssa has four thousand two hundred and marlon actually is in the lead with seven thousand four hundred and we get the double jeopardy categories all stars museums 
foreign-born Oscar winners, the 11th century, poems second lines, and triple B. I thought the poems second lines was surprisingly difficult. I mean, obviously, for, for rhyming couplets, you can get the rhyme, the $800 clue. In a poem by, by William Blake, these four words precede the second line, in the forests of the night. You have to have watched the All-Star Tournament, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Tiger Tiger was in the All-Star Tournament, that's that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's Tiger Tiger Burning Bright, Yeah. Uh, which rhymes, and so you could you could uh, sort of extrapolate the rhyme if you happen to know that first line um, just in your brain. You could be like, oh yeah, that rhymes, so that must be it. Um, but without it, I, I had a harder time. I've also talked about how poetry is a weakness of mine, and it's come up in like every single episode of this entire season. Yeah, so. I, I did not find this category difficult, but I know that poetry is a strength of mine. So, Which is weird because I like learned sort of famous like british and american poetry and that's it like i don't i feel bad that i don't read more contemporary poetry mm-hmm. but i'm not like actively engaged with poets who are working now yeah you know and so i i, I often am surprised that i you know sort of have, seem to have um internalized en- enough poetry to be good at good at it you know for jeopardy purposes we get daily double number two in the museums category at the $1,600 level, Veronica finds it and wagers 3000 The clue is originally serving as a private gallery of art. The Hermitage Museum was founded by her in 1764. And Veronica correctly identifies who is Catherine the Great, mm-hmm. which either you just kind of know, even if you're not sure who founded it, to me... If you know that, if you know that what the Hermitage is, and the clue says founded by her, feels like there's one option. Yep. <laughs> so, so I, even even if you're not sure, that would be a good guess. Yes. Daily Double Three comes up uh, as the twentieth clue, and it's po- it's in poem second lines, um, and it is the topic of last week's deep dive. Yes, that one um, was not hard. <laughs> yeah. For me. Alyssa uncovers it. Wagers four thousand. It's at the $1,600 level. The clue is, its second line is over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. So if you didn't get a chance to enjoy Kyle's deep dive last week, um, A, you should. B, you would hopefully be able to pick this up from the rhyme scheme and the uh, lore at the end rhymes with the recurring nevermore. The Raven, uh, Alyssa gets it correct. So that one was good. I know I said that that category was like difficult for me. I actually got I got four out of five of them correct. It just it, oh nice. It was yeah. not a. It was a. I, I had to work for it. Uh, I missed the four hundred dollar clue because I just mm-hmm. was like, "What is this saying?" And then it was Casey at the bat, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's yeah. a thing." But the others I managed to get to. That felt really yeah. good to have literally read the, that line onto our podcast the week before. Mm-hmm. At clue 29, we had um, like Marlon and Veronica kind of jockeying for position, and then clue 29 comes up. It's uh, the $1,600 level of Triple B. The clue is clothing articles that gave their name to 1940s adolescent girls. And Marlon 
buzzes in, and then his face drops. And he says it anyway, even though he's figured out it doesn't fit the category. He says, uh, what are teeny boppers? Yep. And loses the 1600. Um, the correct response there is Bobby Socks. But going, getting right down to the wire there, you really, really, really want that first position. Yeah. Um, which he, if he'd rung in and got it right, he would have had it by a thousand. But he goes into final Jeopardy trailing. Uh, Veronica is leading at 17,200. Marlon has 15,000. Alyssa has 10,600. And we get the category World Geography. And the clue is about the size of West Virginia, Devon Island is the largest uninhabited island in the world and a possession of this country. For me, it came down to like two options in basically the same region. Uh, I figured it was in the Arctic because that's where a lot of uninhabited islands are. And I was like, okay, is this like considered part of Greenland? And so the trick is that it actually belongs to Denmark or is it just Canada? So I kind of went back and forth. I settled on Canada, uh, which we find out is the correct response. So Alyssa guesses what is the United Kingdom, probably from the the like big pointer of Devon, but that is incorrect. And she wagered seventy five hundred, so she drops down to thirty one hundred. Both Marlin and Veronica get Canada correct. Marlin adds an A at the end for good measure, uh, and Marlin doubles up completely, so he's up to thirty thousand. But Veronica made a cover bet, so she wins by the margin of one dollar, which is... Great TV, but bad second place wagering strategy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, totally right strategy on Veronica's part, just in case Marlon does that, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, and so the... And, you know, like, winning by a dollar is all dramatic and stuff, but for those of us who are more aware of betting strategy... It makes sense that you'd win by a dollar because that's the least amount that you would risk and still ensure your victory. So to right. me, to me, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah. But that means that Veronica wins. Uh, she is moving on to Wednesday. On Wednesday, we have Oishi Shimanti, a tutor from Arcadia, California. Laura Thomason, an English professor from Lizella, Georgia. And Veronica Vichit Vatican, a librarian from Portland, Oregon, who now is coming in and two days cash winnings, totaling $52,000. So we get the single Jeopardy categories, famous and historic women, easy as A, B, D. Uh, each correct response will begin with an A and with a D, and there will be a B somewhere in there. Trees, literary mashups, uh, name the two works by the same author that are mashed up in the clue. Team America, and... <laughs> World Police. America. I don't think that film has aged well. Oh, I, I haven't watched it in a while, but I'm I'm just gonna float this idea that maybe Team America: World Police has not aged that well. I I would argue that uh, it didn't age well when it was new. <laughs> that you might be right. Right, like I I thought it was funny. I did not think it was good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I have never had the desire to watch it again. Do I have a DVD of it somewhere in my house? Possibly. Well, Um, you know, it's important for your children to learn the cultural touchstones. 
Yeah. Uh, like Team America World. <laughs> Team America World Police. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do think that maybe they're old enough for Space Jam, though. <laughs> I think they are. <laughs> the Space Jam bit. I'm going to make it happen on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, to the actual clues. Right. Uh, so we have three female contestants who um, uh, just rolled right on through the famous and historic women category. Shocking. Um, yep. Yeah. At clue number four, in that category, we uncover the Daily Double. Laura finds it and makes a $600 wager. It's not all she had. She had twice that. So she wagers half of what she has with a $600 wager. And gets the clue, let's tell of her and nothing but her. She was born a slave in the 1790s and once freed, sold a book of her narrative. She guesses who is Harriet Tubman. Um, The correct response here is Sojourner Truth. Mm -hmm. I overthought it and said Harriet Jacobs, which is probably never going to be a correct (laughs) response in a single Jeopardy round. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Went to Sojourner Truth and was like, that's it yeah her and nothing but her is the is the clue that i that i merrily skipped over being like oh i was just reading a thing about incidents in the life of a slave girl like, no mm-hmm. no i'm like no that's funny yeah uh but that was the only one that they missed in that in that category and mm-hmm. it was a forced response from yeah. laura because it was a daily double so the, the literary mashups was uh it was fun i did very poorly <laughs> I, I did pretty poorly also the 200 was was a triple stumper and i did not get it the prince of santini the two works there are the prince of tides and the great santini um i did get the 400 level uh clue which was the cat and ham um mm-hmm. that is the cat and the hat and green eggs and ham yep. uh, two works by dr seuss and i knew i knew the 1000 clue death comes for the antonia that's uh, Death Comes for the Archbishop and My Antonia by Willa Cather. Oh, that's Willa Cather. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Veronica has 3,600. Laura is in the lead with 6,000. And Oishi has 3,800. And uh, we get the double Jeopardy categories. U.S. representatives. Composers. What type of machine am I? Netflix and chill. Border Rivers and Backronyms. Which, uh, Alex explains, these are acronyms where words are chosen to fit the letters. Right. Which, Apgar, I think is my favorite backronym um, because it doesn't sound like it's a last name. It's named after the person who invented the Apgar score and mm-hmm. uh, they created the, um, the acronym Appearance, Pulse, Grimace, Activity, and Respiration based on the name Apgar. Yep. <laughs> Just so, it's very interesting. Yeah. Which is a way of assessing uh, how, uh, like, a, like the health of a newborn. Um, I think you do it at, like, at birth and then at 10 minutes, 2 minutes. There's a big difference between 2 minutes and 10 minutes, really, if that's all you've been alive. Right. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember the minutes that pass, but yeah, they, you do it within a number of times with it within the first however many minutes and hour of life yeah yeah i appreciated the 1200 dollars clue 
this boy and tiger team formed the club called get rid of slimy girls using the last letter in girls to form the backronym gross and that's calvin and hobbs i love calvin and hobbs yeah maybe that should be my favorite backronym (laughs) i don't know afgar is pretty good um i particularly enjoyed the composers category i'm so surprised i know I thought they were a little more difficult than their normal composer fare through the category. We get Daily Double number two in the composer's category at the $800 level. Uh, Veronica finds it and wagers 3000 It's a video Daily Double. Uh, it says, if you visit this country, you can enter the room, which it shows, where Edvard Grieg did his composing in the home he built. And you don't need to see the room to know this response which she gets correct it's what is norway uh grieg is the norwegian composer right probably seeing the room is not going to help you if you don't know that right and and obviously norway has turned out many more composers than just edvard grieg but your your pavlov should be norway composer grieg those three things should go together Mm -hmm. there was also a lot of uh i i saw some i saw some social media i'm just gonna say nonsense in the U.S. representatives category at the $1,200 level. Oh, yeah. Yep. It showed a picture of a uh, congressman. And it says, 153rd of California's House delegation is this Intelligence Committee chairman. And, I mean, maybe you know him by the picture, but you got to know who the Intelligence Committee chairman is. And that's Adam Schiff. It was a triple stumper, which, for me would have I like I I was I wasn't going to get there cuz I was like ah oh, trying to remember the name and like get get around to it uh, I wouldn't have gotten it in 5 seconds but a lot of people of a certain persuasion were either gloating that this man that they uh, dislike was you know wasn't known like nobody knew him and the other contingent of people were saying, how dare Jeopardy use that guy? That's clearly showing their left bias. <laughs> I'm just like, it's a picture of a congressperson and asking who this is. Yeah. Yes, how dare they ask about current events? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It was nonsense. That, that's a nonsense. Uh, we get the third Daily Double in the Border Rivers category at the $1,600 level. Uh, Veronica finds it and wagers 3,000. It's the 29th clue. So the clue is, the only river that serves as part of a national border in the Caribbean is the Artibonite River on this island. Veronica struggled with it for uh, for a few seconds, and eventually you could sort of see realization dawning, but she didn't quite get all the way there in time. She said, what is the Dominican Republic? And she's on the right island, the Dominican Republic is one of two countries on the island of Hispaniola. Um, the other is Haiti. Mm-hmm. So that's incorrect. She drops down a bit. But she still finishes in the lead with 10,400 to Laura's 8,000 and Oishi's 6,600. Uh, and so going into Final Jeopardy, we have the category Children's Literature my fave yeah and the clue is einstein's theory of relativity and max planck's quantum theory inspired this book that won a 1963 newbery medal so we go to oishi first who correctly identifies what is a wrinkle in time and nearly doubles up all but a dollar 
Uh, then Laura guessed, what is the fault in our stars? Which, you know, it's a, it's a guess. It's too new. Yeah. It's a, that's a recent John Green novel. Yeah, yeah very, um, very recent. But if you don't know anything else, it has stars in the title. And if you've never read the book, then you can be like, I don't know, maybe that's it. So not a, yep. not a bad guess. Uh, and Veronica also gets ooh, uh, Wrinkle in Time, and she makes a cover bet, as, and she wins her third day. So that takes us to Thursday. We have Priscilla Drobes, a stay-at-home mom from Nanuet, New York. Shanu George, a graduate student from North Windham, Connecticut. And Veronica Fitchett Vatican, a librarian from Portland, Oregon, returning with three-day cash winnings of $68,001. And there was some social media stuff about Oof. this day. Yes, there was. Priscilla had a tough day. And uh, the Jeopardy community has really come out for her. Lots of love to everyone who is out there on Twitter and everywhere else. Reminding the public that we all have passed the same test. And every single one of us was tough, bored, and a and a couple of panic reactions away from what happened with Priscilla. Um, yep. Which is that she got in the hole and never managed to get out of it. And, I mean, you know, like, you hope and you plan. You get on, you know, you get the call. And, like, when it's not going your way, that is very upsetting. And she, she got visibly flustered. And, like, it was totally understandable. And I think all of us who have been there felt for her. Yeah. I, I have played two games in which uh, I became very frustrated with either my own performance or simply not getting in. You can see it on my face if you watch those episodes. <laughs> um, that, you know, it's it's really getting to me. That I I want to be doing better. And, yeah. It, happen, yeah. it happens, happens to anybody. And it could happen to anybody on the show. So, yeah. Yeah. So we get the single Jeopardy categories... Picture this with P in quotation marks, weather, five-letter words, coinage, park city, and real people on screen. I, I blew the 200-level picture this category because I forgot everything was supposed to start with a P. And I said, <laughs> wipe. <laughs> it was, there was an image um, of, a, of a fence in front of a house. And the clue said, as a symbol of American success, it dates back to the colonial era. And I said, what is a white picket fence? Um, Veronica got it correct, though, with what is a picket fence. Um, I think it it doesn't take too many of those if you're actually up there to go into the red. Right. Yeah. yeah. We uh, left a couple of clues on the board. Um, and I think part of that is because there were a lot of triple stumpers and a lot of incorrect uh, responses mm -hmm. uh, in both rounds. Actually the this game had a total of uh 19 incorrect responses including all three daily doubles oh yeah um which oof oof a doofa the jeopardy fan pointed out that the like the record is somewhere in the 20s for a number of incorrect yeah. responses in a game but actually uh shenu and shenu gave the most number of incorrect uh, responses he even gave more than priscilla not to i'm not, not putting anyone on blast here i'm just saying like it was a rough game it was a it was a tough game for all of them it wasn't just the other two being fine and and priscilla having a hard time like it was a it was a tough board for them yeah so he he finds the daily double in the weather category at the 400 hundred dollar level 
and the clue is uh in a two-week period in 2018 the east coast was walloped by three of these storms named for the direction from which they came he wagered a thousand uh and he guessed what is a polar vortex which isn't a bad guess i mean if it's coming from the pole right comes from the direction of the north pole yep Yep. but uh the correct response is uh what are nor'easters yeah yeah so he loses a thousand and that drops him down a little bit Mm -hmm. we should remind everyone um there were uh there were a number of video or image there were a number of image clues with images um and uh I saw you reminding people on Twitter, Kyle. Um, We should remind folks on the podcast. um, Those are shown on sort of a large TV screen across the stage. And so if the image blows up on your TV and you think, who in the world could miss that? Somebody who's trying to squint through stage lights to see the TV clear on the other side of the stage could Mm -hmm. miss it. Um, And also, if you're, you know, a Jeopardy contestant, you're reading the clue. You're not waiting right. for Alex to, to say the clue out loud to think about it. So we're looking at the game board to read the clue, and we're look and we're we're also looking at the TV screen to see the image. So we're mm-hmm. splitting our time trying to figure this out. So we uh we had a, a couple of ones where where maybe it wasn't clear from home, sort of how how tough that is from the contestant podium. Uh, we had the carabao is a popular variety of this tropical fruit. They had a picture, um, Veronica. That's in the five-letter words category. Veronica guessed guava, which is a five-letter word. Uh, those are mangoes, and I, I could tell it from the picture, but I had the benefit of seeing the picture all the way big, you know? I, I will um, su- I will submit the correct response should be mango, because mangoes is six letters. That That is true, yes. But that might be quibbling. Yeah, the, the, the clue was set up to ask for mango. Yeah. This tropical fruit, mm-hmm. what is a mango? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might have gotten dinged if you said mangoes. Yeah, because it's not five um, letters. But similarly, uh, with the $1,000 clue in the picture, this this colorful word can be applied to both the beautiful bloom and the edible gastropod seen here. That was periwinkle. Shanu guessed what is picturesque. It's a good <laughs> game. Not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were very picturesque yeah. snails. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Priscilla had made it out of the hole at the end of the Jeopardy round. She was at 200. Uh, Veronica was leading with 5,400 and Shanu had 1,000. In the double Jeopardy round, we get the categories Once Upon a Time in America, Rock Operas, States Common Surnames, National Spelling Bee Winning Words. You don't have to spell it. You just have to come up with the word. Myth in Modern Literature. And Blue by You. Oh, we had three more clues here that, that I got from the Circe novel. I, I would have known the, some of them anyway. Um, in Myth in Modern Literature, mm-hmm. at the $800 level, W.H. Auden wrote a famous poem about a painting of him described as a boy falling out of the sky. That's Icarus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1200 in a Shelley work, this firebringer is not happy to be nailed to a wall of eagle baffling mountain. That is Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And at the $1,600 level, I knew the triple stumper. Uh, the title character of Margaret Atwood's The Penelope Ad tells the story of running this kingdom while waiting for Odysseus to get back. That's Ithaca. Mm-hmm. All right, enough of me gloating. Uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty good book, though. We have another suggestion. Uh, this is just <laughs> Emily's book recommendation podcast. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. It can be a podcast without <laughs> a podcast. Yeah. All right. Um, 
I enjoyed the rock opera category. And I, again, I'm so again shocked, right? Um, I did get them all. The the twelve hundred dollar clue. The title of this 1973 rock opera by The Who is partly drawn from an incorrect understanding of schizophrenia. I, I guess I don't know enough about the background of it. The only reason I knew it is because I was like, well, it. I mean, it's not Tommy because that wouldn't make any sense with the clue. And Quadrophenia is the only other one I know. And it shares like the ending of the word with schizophrenia. So I... I guess mm-hmm. quadrophenia. I I still I even looked into it a little bit. I still don't really understand what that clue is getting at. Uh, but it's it was not surprising to me that nobody got quadrophenia. That's a much deeper cut than Tommy. You know. Yeah, that was the only one I missed in that category. Yeah, yeah. I sort of have probably it's incorrect to have Tommy as a pav- pavlov for uh, the Who rock opera. I I don't think so. I don't know. I think that's usually a safe bet. Yeah. to go to just be like who rock opera oh it's tommy because yeah. that's the big one uh the yeah. two thousand dollar clue though jeopardy so woke talking about hedwig mm-hmm. and the angry inch throwing out the word yep. genderqueer yeah just integrating it right into the clue yep. there yeah uh john cameron mitchell wrote a 1998 rock opera about this genderqueer cabaret singer and the angry inch veronica got that one yep so uh the daily doubles uh we get Daily Double number two, at uh, clue number 15, so halfway through the round, in states common surnames. So it's just looking for a last name, like a common last name in any particular state. Shanu wagers 4,000 on it. Uh, he's uh, about 4,000 behind uh, Veronica at this point, so he's looking to kind of get back into the game. He's, he's made some moves. Uh, the clue is Martinez is number one in this state where Susanna Martinez was governor from 2011 to 2019. And so in the, the, the clue just above it, it asks about Garcia being the number one name in these two states, these two biggies. And those are mm-hmm. Texas and California. So Texas and California are off the board. So really, right. to my mind, you have Arizona or New Mexico as your choice. And if you know mm-hmm. which one Susanna Martino is the governor of, then you're going to get it. Uh, he did not know. He guessed what is Arizona. Uh, but the correct response is... New Mexico. So he loses 4000 drops down significantly. Then he moves on to the $2,000 clue, uh, which ends up being a triple stump run. Yeah. And so that means he still has control of the board when he uncovers clue number 17, the, the other daily double in Once Upon a Time in America uh, at the $2,000 level. Uh, he wagers 1500 because he is uh, actually in the red at this point. And he can wager up to 2000 but he wagers 1500 And the clue is, organized in the 1830s, this group of lawmen merged with the texas state highway patrol in 1935 uh and he guesses what are the texas marshals and i think he i think he was thinking of the texas rangers probably but he just got the wrong word so he got that incorrect as well uh and that dropped him down even further into the red um so the rest of the round was essentially shanu and uh priscilla trying to get out of the red yeah which was tough to watch yeah but you know tougher tougher to be in their shoes oh, i guess oh for sure um, yeah yeah shanu does uh make it out of the red just in time priscilla was able to come back a little bit from her very bottom score um and she she just never gave up you know yeah. she she kept fighting yeah the last we heard from her was at clue number 
25, uh, where we saw an image. It's in the Blue Bayou category, uh, the $1,200 level. The clue was Thomas Gainsborough set the tone with the portrait seen here. Um, and she rang in with uh, what is the blue boy and came up 1,200, um, but still landed at negative 5,400 at the end of the double jeopardy round. Yep. To Veronica's 13,000 and Shanu's 2,300. So it is a lot game and Priscilla was not able to participate in final jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Where we get the category Western Hemisphere Geography. And the clue, it's the easternmost capital city in Central America. So you got to be able to picture picture the map, essentially. And so we talked on, you know, just a few minutes, well, a little bit ago about, uh, about how I looked at maps and stuff. So Central America actually takes a pretty, uh, a pretty significant eastward curve from right. the southern end of Mexico over to the northern uh, end of Colombia, at, at the top of South America. So knowing that suggests that, yeah, Pan- Panama will be the farthest east because the whole thing kind of curves that direction. So, yeah, my, my immediate thought was Panama City, which is the correct response. <laughs> which is the correct response. Yeah. Uh, Veronica gets it with an $8,000 wager. Uh, Shanu guesses what is Tegucigalpa uh, with a $2,000 wager. But they were all pretty much locked into their positions. Right. Um, you know, before Final Jeopardy. Um, so Veronica is our winner with 21000 and returns on Friday. Yep. And so Friday we get Lindsay Goldstein, a youth librarian from Chicago, Illinois, Dennis Coffey, a bartender from Old Orchard Beach, Maine, and Veronica Vichit-Vatican, a librarian from Portland, Oregon, whose four-day cash winnings are now up to $89,001. So we have two librarians... In yes. the same game, I do not know how they managed to contain that kind of energy on the mm-hmm. set. You know what I mean? Yeah. My mom was a youth librarian in Chicago, Illinois. So oh, nice. I was like, hey, go Lindsay. I've heard a few people say that they, uh, if there was like a particularly intimidating returning contestant, they'd try to get in the contestant coordinator's ears and say, oh, you know, you wouldn't want two people from the same region on it you know, right at the same time, you should hold me off for a little bit. Because um, <laughs> that's how it uh, works. And sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and sort of, you know, hope that maybe they could uh, convince the contestant coordinators if they're if they're able to influence order at all or who gets held over, you know, to like maybe hold me over and let somebody else beat the, beat the intimidating returning champion if they can. Right. When I see an overlap on Friday, it makes me, it sort of makes me wonder, um, we get the Jeopardy categories. Bands, clans, and gangs. You burned my food. Number that book. Middle O. The letter O is going to be in the exact middle of each correct response. Money talks and sitcoms. And this was a this was a uh, very clean round one, I thought. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if there were many triple stumpers or rebounds but i i seem to remember being it it being sort of competitive and pretty fast moving and like not a whole lot of missed responses no just a just a few or just a yeah, couple there... couple missed responses there were a handful of triple stumpers yeah but not a lot of people going down in score yeah thought you burned my food was a fun category that was all 
dishes that are like flambéed or burned in some way uh, in the in the course of preparing them. Yeah, it made me hungry though. Yeah. Everything makes me hungry. <laughs> um, yep. Fair. Uh, anytime an Arrested Development thing comes up, it makes me happy. Uh, so in sitcoms, yeah. the four hundred dollar clue. Why should you go to jail for a crime someone else noticed? Asked attorney Bob Loblaw on this bluthtastic show. Uh, and that's Arrested Development. I just, yeah. And especially Bob Loblaw. Yeah. That's a that's always a fun uh, <laughs> pub quiz team name. Bob Loblaw's Law Blog. Yeah. That is a, that, that is a good team name. I, I have a long history of using potables as my team name, actually. Interesting. Mm. Well, now, I mean, now we have some kind of claim to it, you know. Right, yeah. So. I'm not sure that Alex knew quite how to pronounce blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. To, I was too, I was too, like, giddy when I read it. Yeah. I didn't really pay attention <laughs> yeah. to how he pronounced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lindsay seemed happy to get it. Yeah. Oh, I um, would too. I mean, there was a oh yeah, there was a clue in my last game, the one that I lost to Rob. It was like a quote from of Cyril Figus from Archer, and I was just like super overjoyed to to be able to get it and be like, "What is Archer?" Because I love, I enjoy that show too. Yeah, I don't know that one. Maybe I should. Uh, definitely when the kids right. are in bed, or okay. or or not around. <laughs> yeah, the Daily Double was the last clue of the round. Um, we. Uh, left one uncovered. It was clue number 29 in the Money Talks category at the $800 level. Lindsay found it and wagered 1500 The clue was, in Frontier General Stores, this was often used as a table or counter. Hence, cash on it to mean payment right away. Uh, she guessed what is layaway. This is an expression I've never heard. Cash on the barrel. That's an old, um, old-timey one. And probably, yeah. probably used more out here than than out east yeah that makes sense i i don't hear it very often and usually if i've encountered it it was within the context of oregon trail sure (laughs) the classic like doctor good medicine woman (laughs) uh scores at the end of the jeopardy round uh lindsay is leading with 6300 Veronica has 2,600, Dennis has 800, and Alex promises him, like, redemption or something. I can't remember what he said exactly. Oh, yeah. But he, like, really made some made some big promises that Dennis was going to have a good round two, and it worked for Dennis. Yeah, apparently, um, like, let's, let's investigate that, am I right, FCC? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes, like, Alex's... Um, like predictions seem to bring jinxes as often as they bring good luck. Yeah, they, which so. which means they they really do nothing. They, it's just, he's just um, talking. Yeah. yeah, he's he's hosting a show. That's his job. Yeah, and he's trying to be um, encouraging or whatever without. Yeah, yeah. So we get the categories: North, South, East, West. A Broadway cast of characters. What's the big idea? Nationality phrases. History briefly and. Deuteronomy's clean and unclean animals. Which, uh, how'd you do there? I did great. How did you do? I I did all right. Let's see, what did I miss? The pig is for, because it doesn't, I got that one. The ugly duckling, gotcha, bullet, these birds. Cygnus. Cygnus, I got swans because of that. I didn't, I did not get it because of Deuteronomy. 
Yeah, um, I didn't remember that about Deuteronomy, but yeah, every, every but I did get all of them from the actual clues themselves. Yeah, it helps a little bit to be kind of familiar with contemporary like kosher practices, um, sure. which I am imperfectly familiar with. Like uh, I arranged for food for an interfaith thing and messed up a kosher thing, but one one time recently but like for the most part i i am familiar and those are you know sort of based on uh the the laws that you'll find in deuteronomy and also in leviticus mm-hmm. dear our queen per deuteronomy that was the 1600 clue um asking about when the king james bible refers to the heart as clean h-a-r-t mm-hmm. it means these forest dwellers yep. um, yeah we don't call them that anymore I thought the nationality phrases category was fun. At the $400 level, I don't understand anything in this language, Patroclus. It's all this. Um, that's It's all uh, Greek to me. What is Greek to me? Mm-hmm. I've heard, although I haven't fact-checked, um, that in Greek, if you want to convey that meaning, you say, it might as well be Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because it's all Greek to me, is it going to work? That's the language you're speaking. So what do they say in Chinese, though? That's oh, the there's a question. question. We, yeah. Uh, we had a couple of pancakes clues in this game, which made me think of um, Ariana Hout, who is a Jeopardy alum um, and is currently on... Is it still running? Greatest trivia show ever? Uh, um, I think it's being rebranded as Masterminds or something. Right. She just finished her year of pancakes where she ate a pancake every day of 2019 and Instagrammed it. So uh, at, at the $800 level of nationality phrases, we had They're All the Rage in Stockholm with an image. Those were Swedish pancakes. And earlier in this game, we had Crepe Suzette also. Yeah. So that's. Have to now, you know, in- Instagramming your daily pancake, that that is the kind of thing that the inventors of the internet really foresaw. Yeah. When they launched That's what it's this. For. Yeah. The internet is for Instagramming your daily pancake. Is it, um, do you think now now let me ask you this. Being being a, a scholar of Christianity, do you think uh-huh. if you replaced daily bread with daily pancake in the Lord's Prayer, would it still work? Give us this day this daily pancake. It's a grain product. I mean pan- when you're thinking about pancakes and religion, um I I go right to Shrove Tuesday, right? Like we don't like pancakes are not a daily thing because like in period like penitential seasons, we we don't we don't do things with like lots of eggs and butter and maple syrup. So what you're saying? They had maple syrup. So what you're saying <laughs> but, is we should not pray for daily pancakes. Yeah, prop, uh, I don't know. I mean, daily pancakes are great, but. Yeah, maybe not. Okay, you heard it. You heard it here. I'm... Religious authority, <laughs> Emily Brown, equivocated. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, declaring very, uh, very clearly with absolutely uh, no, no, uh, no holds barred here. She is saying very clearly, do not pray for daily pancakes. Totally supportive of Ariana Howe's pancake project. <laughs> but we do have. I mean, we do have a six-week fasting period that we. Like mark the night before by eating pancakes, so I feel like sure we're we're actually fairly clear on not eating pancakes every day. Okay, I mean and I have my answer. 
I asked a yeah. question and now I got it. All right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we get daily double number two. In the nationality phrases category, which I brought us right to, mm-hmm. um, at clue number 13, Lindsay finds it and wagers 2500 and gets the clue. Pete's.com shows you how to use the plunger when making coffee in one of these. And she did you see her face sort of light up like... <laughs> I don't know if she uses one of these every day, but like, it was like one of those moments where like she had no doubt. Yeah, she had a personal a connection. Press. Yeah. Ah, uh, so yeah, what is a French press? Was the correct response there? Yeah. Anyway, we get daily double number three <laughs> um, in the north, south, east, west category at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Dennis finds it and he wagers four thousand. He is in a, a a fairly close second place. Uh, right now to Lindsay Um, and the clue is you'll find this state in Australia's lower right hand corner Um, and so that's the the category is north south east and west so you have to know that one of those words is going to come up in the correct response and so the only the only one that really fits is the correct response which he identifies which is New South Wales that would that would be it there's there is also western Australia and uh, I believe they call it Northern Territory. Yeah. Uh, but being Western and Northern, I don't know that those would necessarily fit the category. Mm-hmm. And if you think about lower right hand, um, of course, that's also. Yeah, that that'll help you narrow it down if you've thought of those ones. Right. So Dennis leads the way into Final Jeopardy. He has nineteen thousand six hundred to Lindsay's ten thousand eight hundred. Veronica is trailing with 7,000, but not out of the picture. Um, And we get the category DNA makes news, which I didn't know what to make of that. Yeah, no, that's, how could you not? That's such a common and clear category. Yeah, my blind guess was CRISPR, which was not close to relevant. (laughs) Yeah. The clue was, in 1993, remains of the Russian royal family killed in 1918 were confirmed by comparing their DNA to this member of the British royal family. I had a tough time with this one. I got it wrong. Yeah. I got it way wrong. My my guess was, essentially, yeah. whoever was king during World War One. Oh, George V. Oh, of course, Georgie. Oh, Georgie and Willie and Nikki are the the cousins. I thought they were going with the cousins of of the czar okay. yeah. there um but it's the cousin's descendant that they're looking for mm-hmm. yeah so i guessed queen elizabeth ii and i was not totally alone I, I didn't think it was right but i was not totally alone uh lindsay was with me um that's incorrect veronica guessed who is uh she started to write elizabeth it looks like but then crossed it out and went with prince albert but dennis had it correct it is who is prince philip and Alex Trebek notes that it, uh, Prince Philip is the great-nephew of Tsarina Alexandra of Russia. Hmm. So that's the that's the DNA connection yeah. there. So Dennis will be our champion on Monday. Uh, he wins with $21,601. Yep. So that's the week. That is the week. Some good games, some notable games, uh, a lot of excitement. Mm-hmm. In addition to this, we will plug... Uh, the greatest of all time tournament wrapped up uh, in an impressive but admittedly short 
fashion with its only game for this week on Tuesday. And we will have our uh, analysis episode of that coming up on our Patreon. Uh, Our Patreon is up and running. Uh, You can check it out. We have patronage levels uh, depending on what is, you know, comfortable for you and, uh, you know, what you're able to do. Um, At the contestant level, you get access to all the bonus material. And that will include our our, uh, Greatest of All Time episode as well as any other bonus episodes that we have coming up uh, and outtakes things like that we're also going to include uh, some additional information or questions that we don't end up using in the episode for our deep dive and quiz the champion level you get all of that stuff at the contestant level and you also get a uh, shout out on the podcast as well as uh, some input on the topics that we look into for deep dives and then at the super champ level you will get a chance to live stream with us do uh, potentially an episode play along with us uh, also maybe come on the podcast and take a quiz uh, basically at the super champ level we invite you on and give you the give you some options as to what you'd like to do with us that's right so uh, you can find us on um, i think we're patreon.com slash potent audibles that is accurate we're we're excited to uh to be launching that we have our first do we call them patreons do we call them patreon supporters we have our we have our first person on there um <laughs> i would just call him a patron but yeah we we have our first patron on there so yay yeah yeah it's exciting and you all should sign up because she's gonna need somebody to talk about the, the bonus episode there. that's true right? that's true We're, we we are currently making a bonus episode for literally one person just for you my friend <laughs> just for you and um, you know what hey you earned it so yeah <laughs> ah that's awesome Anyway, let's get into this deep dive. I had one thing that popped into my head as what it could be, and I actually spent some time talking about it, but it occurred to me that it might be something you want to talk about too, and that was Quadrophenia. Is the deep dive on Quadrophenia? It is not, Then I have absolutely no clue. (laughs) All right, cool. Hang on, hang Um, on, wait. I know what it is. It's Team America World Police. (laughs) <laughs> busted no um uh, <laughs> uh one of these days one of us is going to have a correct guess about the deep dive but it's not today for good reason because i i think i've said in the past that i have like mental rules for myself about like what what steers me toward or away from a deep dive topic and i ignored them this week because of final jeopardy in the greatest of all time tournament I sort of decided that I wanted to go looking for a Shakespeare question. Mm-hmm. There is advice sort of floating around out there that if you're preparing for Jeopardy, um, the first things to focus on are state capitals, world countries and capitals, presidents of the United States, and Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And to me, Shakespeare is kind of the one of these things that's not like the others. Sure. Because state capitals, if you haven't memorized them, you can memorize them in, I don't know, maybe an hour. Yeah. Like, you can fully cover that ground. And, you you know, you can, there's maybe a little more to do there. You can learn a little bit about each one. Like, maybe, you know, like a 
couple of famous sites there or something like that. But you can kind of fully cover that ground in in a few hours. Um, World Capitals takes a little longer. Um, if you're going to do a lot of work with maps, you know, that, that can add some time. But, like, I feel like you can sort of, you can sort of max out on, on World Capitals in, like, working working 30 minutes a day for, like, a week or two. And president, presidents are a little longer than that, but they're all, those are all sort of fairly finite topics. With presidents, you maybe want to do, like, their, their name, like, their years, what number they are, uh, their vice president or presidents, um, first lady, where they're from, what they did before, what they did after, mm-hmm. like, a couple major sort of events or, like, things they're known for. Right. I think that's pretty much it. Oh, uh, their their opponents, right? But like, it, it's just not that inf- much information. And then Shakespeare, Shakespeare just keeps going, you know? <laughs> um, right. It, it's, yeah. it's hard. It's less factual, right? Yes. The other things are just like cut and dry facts. Yeah. And memorizing every word Shakespeare ever wrote is, you know, sort of beyond the scope. But there's a lot that's fair game there anyway uh did you have did you have any techniques for studying shakespeare kyle i'm curious to know my technique was to not study shakespeare okay um so i am relying on the knowledge i have from high school and uh i have i have purposely i enjoy reading shakespeare i've always enjoyed it um so i have read a a number of plays on my own um, but I, I didn't do any extra study per se. I did a little bit just to, particularly because like James Holzhauer lost on a, he, well, I mean he didn't lose on a on a Shakespeare question, but his his last final Jeopardy on his run uh, was concerning Shakespeare, and uh, I did not get it. I I totally forgot about Marlowe, uh, so that inspired me to do a little bit of look at like his biography, but I did not spend time with his works. So, uh, for me, I tried to study Shakespeare before I was on, and I think I picked up another couple of plays, but for me, I sort of need to approach each one like a whole, like, like a narrative work, you know, like I would, like I can learn facts about a novel, but I do better if I actually read the novel, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so there were some plays that I'd seen and there were a couple that I'd read i don't actually do that while reading shakespeare although preparing for this deep dive i discovered uh, that listening to like an audio play possibly speed it up while reading helps me a lot right and uh and we have not done i'm not doing shakespeare as a whole on this deep dive but i thought i would look specifically for any clue that had to do with shakespeare and that would dictate my deep dive topic and the one that I got was from Tuesday's game in the 11th century category at the $800 level. In 1040, Scottish King Duncan I was slain in battle. And this man, known to readers of Shakespeare, succeeded him. Veronica got that one, mm-hmm. uh, who is Macbeth. So we're doing the Scottish play. Aha. And there is so much more stuff that I managed to summarize into my notes. Um, I'm going to talk a tiny bit about the historical sources of Macbeth. I'm going to take us through the play itself a bit. I'll talk a little bit. You probably know there's superstition Mm -hmm. around Macbeth. Mm. 
And then I'll just touch very briefly on um, some notable stage screen versions. Okay, sounds good. All right, so as the Jeopardy clue told us, uh, Shakespeare's play Macbeth um, is based on a historical figure, which I'm not sure that I knew that before seeing that clue. Macbeth, king of the Scots, uh, reigned over a portion of what is now modern-day Scotland in the 11th century, uh, 1040 to 1057. And although the play Macbeth does not depict it this way, um, Duncan I was killed in battle against Moray, of which Macbeth was lord. Um, And then Macbeth succeeded Duncan, um, having defeated him in battle. He sort of, like, acquired his title in a mostly peaceful ascension to power and reigned for a mostly peaceful 17 years. Uh, Some historians claim that Duncan's wife and children did flee Scotland after he died and Macbeth ascended power, and we see um, that in the play. Um, But Shakespeare's Macbeth seems to draw heavily on a version from historical-ish work, um, Holinshed's Chronicles of England, Scotland, and Ireland, mm. which was published in 1577. There's like a like a woodcutting image in there with like kind of three like spooky women ah. that seems to have inspired the, the witches, the weird sisters, mm-hmm. and some details in there that cross over into Shakespeare's Macbeth. So it seems like that was the, the version that he knew. Gotcha. Uh, Macbeth was written during the reign of King James I, so after Elizabeth I. And King James I was the patron of Shakespeare's acting company. And and as such, there are elements of the play that seem explicitly designed to appeal to the king. Mm -hmm. The Scottish setting, so James I, before he was King James I of England, he was King James VI of Scotland. Mm -hmm. And uh, Scotland was sort of like denigrated as like you know backwards and rural and so a serious place in scotland you know and uh sort of treating scotland with more esteem um and making it you know a an interesting setting for for a tragedy it's sort of a a move to uh to get on the king's good side uh shakespeare portrays banquo very sympathetically um uh, which is relevant because uh, King James I believed himself to be a descendant of Banquo. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, King James I was sort of obsessed with witchcraft. Um, <sighs> he had written and published a treatise called Demonology in 1597. No. It was like, involved in like witch trials and stuff. Um, and so the, the witches in the play also are sort of potentially trying to like appeal to his interests huh yeah i didn't get to do too much digging into this but it seems like events in macbeth are also closely associated with uh the gunpowder plot um, oh yeah the plot to um assassinate king james and then the subsequent execution of henry garnet which was in 1605 it's hard to exactly date macbeth or you know a lot of a lot of Shakespeare's work works are hard to hard to date precisely, but scholars think it was written like around 1606, and first published in the Folio of 1623, and it is the shortest of Shakespeare's tragedies. Mm. Um, 
which is helpful if you're pursuing the listening to it on one and a half speed while while reading through it, preparing for a deep dive thing. Yeah. <laughs> so running briefly through important characters, we have the three witches, who's super sort of super iconic in Macbeth, right? Like that's a that's a big association to have for Jeopardy purposes. We have Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, uh, husband and wife, who their political ambitions sort of lead them into this whole like murder, intrigue, madness situation. Uh, there's Duncan, who's the king when it starts. He has two sons, Malcolm and Donaldbane. Banquo is a close ally of Macbeth, but later Macbeth turns against him and murders him. And he has a son, Fleance. Macduff. Is another big one to know. Um, uh, he's a faithful supporter of King Duncan and his wife, Lady Macduff. None of these ladies have names. Um, <laughs> we'll get to what happens to her later. There's a porter. You should you should know about the porter. Theater people love that Macbeth porter. There's a bunch of other characters, but those are sort of the the ones to know. Uh, Macbeth is in five acts. So Act One, we have like a brief preface with the three witches kind of setting the tone. And then uh, the next scenes focus on the aftermath of a battle. King Duncan's forces have faced, like, Norway, basically. King Duncan, is he learns of Macbeth's heroism. Meanwhile, the Thane of Cawdor has uh, become a traitor. And uh, then we meet the witches again, who prophesy to Macbeth and to Banquo that Macbeth is going to be the Thane of Cawdor and the king, Banquo's heirs are going to be kings also. So there's this sort of theme of prophecy running through that raises questions around, like, free will. And, like, uh, the witches are making these predictions, and so, like, who's really in control here? You know, are we are we the authors of our own fates? Um, are we all just sort of puppets? But anyway, the witches, the witches make this prophecy. We, the viewers, or readers, as the case may be, know that the Thane of Cawdor is a disgraced traitor, but Macbeth doesn't know that. So he hears from the witches that he'll be the Thane of Cawdor, and then somebody reaches him with the news that he is receiving that title, um, which sort of gives credence to the prophecies that he's heard. And so in a scene shortly thereafter, he shares this news with Lady Macbeth, and they begin to plot to murder the king, Duncan, who then arrives at the castle. And that is Act 1. So in Act 2, Macbeth is a little hesitant about putting this whole plot into motion. Uh, Lady Macbeth sort of talks him up. He has this vision of like a dagger leading the way. And then not on stage, he commits this murder and and it's done. Mm -hmm. He returns to Lady Macbeth in a panic um, and she kind of calms him down and they wash away the blood. Blood's another major theme in Macbeth in terms of imagery and violence as a as a sort of recurring theme and, and thing that the, the play is like trying to get us to, to contemplate. And uh, the body is found and the two sons of King Duncan, uh, Malcolm and Donaldbane, flee to England and Ireland, respectively, thinking that splitting up, if, if somebody is... Uh, after their father splitting up is probably safer for both of them, they think. Hmm. Yeah. So the 
King's sons have fled, which looks suspicious to the others. Mm-hmm. And uh, Macbeth is made the king in Act 3. And he and Banquo have been started out as good friends and allies. But together they'd heard this prophecy that uh, Macbeth would be king and then Banquo's heirs would reign. And Banquo has sort of reason to suspect Macbeth having heard this prophecy. And so now Macbeth is starting to get suspicious about about Banquo. Mm -hmm. And so he, feeling the need to sort of continue to cover up and and to uh, take potential competitors sort of out of the picture, arranges with um, two murderers and then a third for Banquo's murder. So he's attacked, his son Fleance escapes, and then there's this scene where Macbeth holds a banquet with all of these lords, um, and he enters the banquet hall, and he sees no chair for himself because the ghost of Banquo is sitting in his place, and he starts to uh, rant and rave at this at what appears to everyone else to be an empty chair. Hmm. Yeah. Which, in the history of productions of Macbeth, it seems like initially that was consistent like they would they would have someone play a ghost and then i think it was in like the 19th century there eventually started to be productions where you didn't have someone portraying that ghost and you would let it look to the audience as it was supposed to look to all these other guests that uh that macbeth is uh shouting at you know there's no one there you would you would leave the chair empty oh okay so what you're saying is uh, Clint Eastwood was just playing Macbeth. Exactly. Okay. That's that's the explanation for that, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing Macbeth and Lady Macbeth sort of, things are starting to come unraveled, right? There's this sort of descent into madness with the with the guilt and, and like paranoia about what they've done and trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. In Act 4, Macbeth visits the three witches again, asking for clarification asking for more prophecy asking for reassurance um and they give him they give him some visions he sees an armored head that tells him to beware of Macduff. Hmm. he sees a bloody child and is told that no one born of woman can harm him uh, that's, that's right. a that's a big important like if you ask some theater people yep. about Macbeth, which i which i did in, in the course of getting ready for this uh they were like no one of woman born uh that that seems like a big you know, sort of thing to know. Right. He has a vision of a crowned child holding a tree, and he's told he'll be safe until a great Burnham Wood comes to Dunsinane. Burnham Wood being like a like a forest, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Dunsinane is Dunsinane is his castle yeah. fortress. Uh, so he's he's relieved about this. He wants to know are are Banquo's descendants going to reign as he has heard. And then the witches give him, and remember this whole James the First context, give him this vision of eight kings who are descendants of Banquo. But Macbeth sees these kings and understands that they are not they're not the kings of Scotland. Mm-hmm. They're the kings of other places. Yes. Um, so he is safe and like, you know, oh how prophetic, right? With with King James the First, uh, supposedly a descendant of Banquo right. on the on the throne of England. Right. Macbeth receives word that Macduff has fled to England, um, at which point he orders Macduff's castle seized and his wife and children murdered. <laughs> Very classy move. I mean, can you blame him though? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I think I think yes, yes we can blame him. 
Um, I agree to disagree. So as we head into Act 5, Lady Macbeth is increasingly racked with guilt, uh, sleepwalking, trying, she's trying to wash away blood that no one but she can see, uh, which is sort of ironic given her um, like assertion in, I think it's Act 1, that you know, just a little water will wash away the blood of the murder. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in England, Macduff hears of his wife and children's death, finds Malcolm, uh, the son of the murdered King Duncan, and they raise an army and come back to Scotland. Um, their army is camping in Burnham Woods. Remember Burnham Woods? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they cut limbs from the trees of Burnham Woods to camouflage themselves and hide their numbers. And so that sets us up for sort of our final scenes. Um, Macbeth gets word that Lady Macbeth has killed herself. And he learns that the English army is advancing um, using this, like, you know, limbs, like branches from the trees of Burnham Woods as cover. So the prophecy about that he would be safe until Burnham Wood comes to Dunsinane, now he's seeing that coming to fruition. Right. And so a battle takes place. Um, the English forces are prevailing, but Macbeth is still feeling secure, he says, and, you know, brings out this prophecy. He says he can't be killed by anyone born of woman. But Macduff reveals that he was not born of woman in that he was ripped untimely from his mother's womb. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that anybody who's had a C-section would into this distinction sure. <laughs> between being born and being, being delivered by C-section, right? Or, or um, as the but, medical professionals put it, ripped untimely. Yes. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I guess it's it's the 11th century. So I don't know. So yes, this is this is the, that's the sort of the, the, the trick of that prophecy. Macduff is, you know, not of woman born. Right. It, in this particular turn of phrase. So no one of woman born can harm Macbeth, but Macduff beheads him. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of Macbeth. And Malcolm becomes king of Scotland. The prophecies about Banquo are unfulfilled as the play ends, but remembering the historical setting, we can, we can know that sort of the audience would sort of perceive those prophecies as fulfilled by virtue of King James the first. Right. So uh, you probably know that uh, Macbeth has a lot of superstition around it mm. for theater folk. Mm-hmm. You are not supposed to say the title of the play inside a theater. So it's it's the Scottish play. You also need to find workarounds for Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Scottish king or lord, Macbee. <laughs> Uh, the Scottish lady. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, apparently Mackers. That sounds British. I was going to speculate that that's British. It does sound uh, very British. Yeah. But of course, it happens that people say the word Macbeth inside theaters. And so there are various rituals for if you do slip and say the word Macbeth inside a theater... I've read a bunch of them now, and they uh, they involve usually some combination of spinning in place, leaving the theater, and walking around the theater or around the block. Um, usually there's some threes in there. There's like spitting and their left shoulder and 
uttering obscenities. There was one about be- waiting until you're invited back into the theater too. Hmm. You can you can mix those around and get a few different sort of rituals for if you were to say Macbeth inside a theater, what you're supposed to do, which was fun to read. And uh, there have been a number of interesting events around Macbeth being supposedly cursed. The Astor Place riot is one of my two favorites. Uh, favorite is a little weird to say <laughs> for a riot, a riot where a bunch of people died. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there was a huge riot in New York City, May 10, 1849, at the Astor Opera House. 120 people injured and somewhere between 22 and 31 dead. Uh, which was, it was like the culmination of this feud um, between these two actors. Um, Edwin Forrest was like the best known American actor of that time. So probably the, the first sort of American, like very successful American stage actor. Mm. And William Charles McCready was an English actor. And the two of them had been touring, kind of shadowing each other, playing the same roles. Like, there were, like, class elements around their followings. Um, McCready had sort of British kind of Anglophile followers. Um, Edward Forrest was, like, a little bit more... Uh, had his, his followers were more, like, working class. Um, but they each sort of had their fan base and sort of this building rivalry between them. It, it's hard to it's hard to imagine now as they played play these like meaty Shakespearean roles, these uh, these fan bases like coming into conflict with each other. So three nights before the riot, McCready was going to be playing Macbeth, and Forrest supporters bought hundreds of tickets to the top level of the opera house in order to throw rotten eggs and tomatoes and stuff at the stage. (laughs) Okay. So he takes the stage again, May 10th. All right. So, um, so McCready's going to be playing Macbeth again on May 10th. We end up with 10,000 people around the theater. And knowing this sort of, that this is an ongoing conflict, there are, there are police there. And like the whole thing just sort of ignites into a riot 20 to 30 dead, upwards of 100 injured. Yeah. All over a feud between two actors plus, you know, American class conflict. Sure. Yeah. So uh, that is a depressing but fascinating incident in the the history of Macbeth being cursed. A a more fun one is that um, Charleston Heston's tights caught on fire. (laughs) That is a more fun one. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You're like... Much less class conflict here. Okay, so it was in Bermuda in, I think it was 1953, in an open-air production of Macbeth. There was a, there was a mishap. And, uh, I mean, I guess it's, this is, it, it, we can laugh, but Heston, Heston suffered severe, severe burns mm. to his groin and leg area. <laughs> yeah, that's the, it, it's cursed, um, is the, is the superstition. Mm-hmm. Although I guess, you know, given that it is maybe one of the most performed plays, it's not too surprising that you can find a bunch of mishaps. Sure. Yeah. There have been countless productions 
on stage and numerous films, several operas. You probably know a little bit about that. Maybe. Yeah. In recent history, um, the sort of three best uh, Macbeths, English English language Macbeths of the the 20th century. Yeah, okay, all 20th century. The three great English-speaking Macbeths of the of the 20th century are uh, this this will these will be mostly familiar names. Laurence Olivier, mm-hmm. 1955. Um, he tried to um, make a film version of Macbeth, but he couldn't get the financing together for it. Um, performed as Macbeth on stage. Ian McKellen was another. Mm-hmm especially notable Macbeth in 1976. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lady Macbeth in that production was Judy Dench. Wow. Yeah. 1976, right? Yeah. Uh, those, those two are still very, very relevant. Right. Small cast, um, pretty intimate theater um, for that production. Um, and similarly, uh, this is not a household name, but Anthony Schur, uh, starting in 1999, was a was a third especially notable Macbeth with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Hmm. There are numerous films. Um, the two that keep coming up over and over again in my research were uh, the Orson Welles nineteen forty eight Macbeth and the Roman Polanski Macbeth in nineteen seventy one. I don't know how much I can comment on those relative to other Macbeths. I can't, I can't claim to have watched multiple film versions of Macbeth. <laughs> right, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know, as a, as a former New Yorker, a few former New York City residents still still in the, in the greater metro area, I feel like I should mention, although it did not come up in my research, Sleep No More. Sleep No More is a, like an immersive theater experience. I am not aware in of that. New York City. Yeah. It was I think it was my first experience with immersive theater and it got a huge amount of buzz throughout like the 2010s. I think it's still open. It is it's a site specific theater work. It's inspired by Macbeth but also noir films and the way it's like they they like a whole block of warehouses. Like I think I, I don't know how much space they're actually in, but like it's a, it's a huge venue that you wander through, and as you're wandering through, there are actors. They almost never speak. It's almost all done in like dance and movement, hmm. performing the story. The props are incredibly detailed. You can interact with the props. The Audience are all given these distinctive masks to wear so that you can be clear about who and you're required to wear them throughout, mm. um, which which make it clear to you when you are when you're seeing an actor. Gotcha. Because there are there are significant portions of the of the place where you know no actor is going to come through except for this one very specific moment, you know, right. and you could you know and and you could hang out there for an hour, but you know if you're not there from you know from nine fifty two to nine fifty four. You know, you'll never see an actor in that room. Huh. I'm having a hard time describing it, but it, it's a it's a super fascinating production, and sort of a major for for New York like theater people now. I think it's a it's a big connection with uh, with Macbeth. So that was that was actually that was my first entry point into Macbeth, I think, and then uh, getting more acquainted with classical like like Macbeth. Macbeth came later, hmm. so. All right, 
So that's Macbeth. Indeed it is. Reading Macbeth has been good, but also the method where you read it while you're listening to it. That is something I would recommend to anybody who is prepping for Jeopardy and uh, has some time to do that with significant Shakespeare plays that they are having a hard time sort of getting their getting their heads around. All right, so you ready for a oh, quiz? Oh, girl, yes. All right, this quiz um, has uh, a few questions that were written by by our, some of our Jeopardy friends, actually. Mm. Uh, this quiz is called Out Damned Spot, <laughs> a quiz on stain removal and hematology. Oh. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, question one. If there are stains in your sink, you might need this scouring powder which shares its name with a hero of the Trojan War. Oh, okay. That's good. I love this name. And I don't know why it always stuck with me from the Iliad. Um, but that that would be Ajax. That is correct. Yeah, and there are two Ajaxes in the Iliad. Ajax the Greater mm. and Ajax the Lesser, who I always felt bad for. But I'm assuming that just means he's smaller or younger than the other Ajax. But I always felt like it was mean to call him Ajax the Lesser. <laughs> that's fair um and that one i i can't take full credit for um i went on a search through the j archive looking for what uh what things they had asked about stain removal and uh that one was so good i had to take it mm-hmm. uh all right 10 points for you Yay. uh question two this one comes from Lindsay schultz um okay so this one comes from Lindsay schultz in hematology the rh factor derives its name from what primate uh that is the rhesus monkey you're correct and i don't and at one point in my life i learned why the rhesus monkey is called the rhesus monkey and i can't remember it now i'm not sure why the rhesus monkey is called the rhesus monkey but rh factor is because i think it was a biologist mistakenly thought that it was similar to um a uh, like a protein in the in rhesus monkey blood hmm. swapped any like I, I i am not a hundred percent confident on any noun in the sentence I <laughs> said, but the, the general shape is correct yeah, in some combination um, <laughs> it fits yeah um so yes uh based on a misunderstanding about uh what was thought to be uh, a similarity between us and rhesus monkeys the science has been corrected but the the name rh factor stands gotcha. um and you have 20 points yeah uh question three a roman catholic doctrine holds that the virgin mary was born free from original sin what is the name of this doctrine which includes a word with a latin root meaning without spot or stain doctrine i i know this so it has a latin word whose root meanings without spot or stain it's the term for mary being born without original sin. Oof, I don't think I'm going to pull it, so I'm going to go with Tabula Rasa. Hmm, that's not a bad guess. Um, the Immaculate Conception. Oh, oh, duh. Um, <laughs> of course. The common misconception here, people tend to assume, hear Immaculate Conception and assume that it refers to the conception of Jesus. I'm not sure I can do Roman Catholic theology full justice, but the idea is, the idea in that doctrine actually is that um, in order to bear jesus mary needs to be sort of special Mm -hmm. and free from sin in a way that the rest of humanity is not and so she her conception is immaculate she's she's born without original sin interesting yeah Mm -hmm. 
Cool. All right. Question four comes from Anarchy Garcia. Hey, Anarchy. All right, here we go. Uh, which single-named author gives tips for tasks, quote, all around the house, end quote, in her 1965 classic that include tips like use white shoe polish to clean stained bathroom grout? Single-named author from the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Giving advice all around the house. I don't even know where to begin working toward this one. Um, I think it might be a, either you know it or you don't. I have a feeling that is that is the case as well. So I'm just going to say Jackie O. All right. Not bad. Uh, Heloise is the answer. Yep. That means literally yeah. nothing to me. She had like, um, she was like a, like a lifestyle, like cleaning, homemaking celebrity with like a newspaper column mm. yeah which would have you know like appeared like there there was just a chat in the women of jeopardy uh group about this um huh. would have appeared like near the ann landers column in the interesting um yeah she had she had books um she was she was like a whole thing so heloise i learned about her and then i got to torment you yep <laughs> um, perfect <laughs> yes um and all around the house that was in quotation marks because that was like part of her, her branding. I think her book was called All Around the House. Yeah, I figured that was uh, that was a clue, but it was not pointing me anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know her name, it's not going to help you. Right. Uh, human blood is red due to its iron. The blood of horseshoe crabs, though, is blue due to the presence of what other element? Ah. <laughs> uh... Um. Uh, the uh, is this too hard? No, it's. Maybe I should have asked you for horseshoe crabs. No, 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 no. It's fine. Uh, I have no clue. Uh, so I'm gonna go with the only thing that makes me think of blue and say cobalt. Hmm. Okay. It's copper. Oh. Yeah, and I didn't get to go all the way in on researching this but like horseshoe crab blood is super interesting and like medically important and valued at something like 14 15 thousand dollars a quart after it's processed um, it's used in immunization technology yeah that is that is awesome <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's something that i'm gonna read more about when i have time maybe i'll read about it and then i'll then I'll put a little bit on the on the Patreon because um, I'm supposed to put the coolest thing I found there. Um, <laughs> so the <laughs> Patreon supporters, you're gonna get some some links about horseshoe crabs and the Astro Place riot. There we go. Because <laughs> we're weird. Um, all right. Okay. So you have. I'm sorry, I geared this quiz too hard. You have twenty hey, points. Twenty points. Hey, hey, that's not too hard. That's fine. Twenty points is. 20 points is something. Yeah. We've we've had worse. How many would you like to wager? Uh, let's see. If I do... Let's go with 11 points. All right. Wagering 11 points. And here is your final question. Stain removal experts will tell you that if you want to remove blood, one of your best bets is to use this substance with chemical formula H2O2. Oh, well, I, I know this one. The reason that it is called what it is is because there is one hydrogen atom per oxygen 
atom, which is hydrogen peroxide. You're correct. Yay! yay. Hooray! So, yay! <laughs> 31 points. Uh, all right, 31 <clears throat> points. Not bad. Not bad. And Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I appreciate challenging questions. Yeah, Those were good. Uh, and they were varied. I We did manage to hit a number. I, we, we were a little science-heavy, which is fine on a quiz that claims to be on state removal and hematology. Sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah right. we... we branched out there thank you listeners for spending your time with us um be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh if you could leave us a rating or a review we would love that yep and uh be sure to check out our patreon which we talked about earlier in the episode uh if you'd like to give us a little bit of support and check out some of that bonus content that is uh in process right now uh tell your friends also get more people listening then you can talk to them about what you hear here uh you can find us on social media we're on facebook at potent potables we're on twitter at potent potables one if you want to email us you can reach us at potent potables cast at gmail.com and we're on the web at potentpod.com uh so we will be back next week with another week of jeopardy recaps and another deep dive and quiz for you Until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.